please turn with me this evening to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3. Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. My title for this evening's message is In or Out of Christ's Kingdom. And we'll be looking at these few verses. The kingdom of heaven. What does that refer to, the kingdom of heaven? Is it only talking about heaven itself? Well, of course it includes a heaven, but it's a broader term. There is more to it than just heaven. It does include, of course, heaven, but something else is also here in mind. Uh, the here we read it of, of it as the kingdom of heaven. At other times, Christ spoke of it as the kingdom of God. Is there a difference between the two? Not really. There are synonyms, we could say, for the same thing. But what is it, uh, this kingdom? Well, it's certainly not a political kingdom. It's certainly not an earthly kingdom. It's certainly not like another country that we can see on the map. This is a different kind of kingdom. This kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, is Christ's kingdom. And uh, it's, it's something that is here now. Uh, it's something that is at hand. You remember when Christ began his ministry, that one of the very first things he said was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. Christ began introducing us, teaching us about his kingdom. But it's not a physical kingdom. It's not a visible kingdom. How, what is this kingdom that he is uh, talking about? What is it, Lord? What is this kingdom of heaven? He went on to say in another, on another occasion, the kingdom of God is within you. It's inside you. It's something that is internal. It's something that is uh, invisible to the naked eye as such. It's a spiritual uh, kingdom, an internal, not a physical uh, kingdom. Those who belong to this kingdom, well, they cannot show you a physical passport. They cannot show you a residence permit to say, look, here is my passport to heaven given to me by Christ. They don't have a mark on their forehead to say that they are members of this kingdom. But something has happened to them to bring them into the kingdom. If this is an internal kingdom, an invisible one, well, something has happened in their hearts. Something has happened within these people uh, to bring them uh, into the kingdom of God, to make them members of, of it. An internal passport, we could say, they have, which gives them an entitlement to, be, to partake of the benefits of being in this kingdom. What is this internal passport? Faith in the heart, faith in Jesus Christ, a trust in him. Oh, you can't see that, but it's there in their hearts, in their lives. They're trusting and depending on Jesus Christ alone. They say, no more of myself. I'm not going to lean on myself and my works, only on Christ for forgiveness, for life, for heaven. Inside also is a sorrow. They carry within them a sorrow for sins. They feel sorry that they 
before were so rebellious, that they so opposed God, that they sinned and offended a holy God, a good God, a kind God, and they feel repentant over these things. There's a great regret in their heart. You can't see it. But you'll see it in in that they have turned away from those sins, those things that are offensive, but they feel these things in their heart. So this, in, in in a short way, is what Christ means when he mentions the kingdom of heaven. This is what he has in mind. Includes heaven, but it's something also more. It's a present kingdom. And if ever we are to get to heaven, which we all surely desire to do, then we must enter that kingdom now. It must, we must be a member. I must be a member of that kingdom now before I pass yonder and meet with my God. I cannot wait. It's not a future decision that must be decided. It must be decided, friends, uh, here uh, in the here and now. But let's look at this passage uh, in chapter 18, verse 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It looks like from this as if the disciples have initiated the conversation and are asking the question, But when we look at Mark's gospel, which relates the same incident, uh, he gives us some extra uh, detail. And what he tells us is that they were actually on the, this conversation took place in a house in Capernaum. Uh, But before they reached the house, while they were on the way, Jesus and his disciples to the home, the disciples were already having a debate amongst themselves. They were bickering amongst themselves. Who is going to be the greatest in Christ's kingdom? Christ, no doubt, was ahead of them and out of earshot. I do not think they would be happy to discuss such a thing before them. But they were uh, discussing, well, who's going to be the number one? Who's going to be the number two in Christ's kingdom? You see, they hadn't yet grasped, even though Christ had taught them repeatedly again and again that they, they are, uh, the, his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. They were still thinking of it as an earthly kingdom. They were still thinking of it as a political kingdom. And they thought Christ is going to be the leader and he's going to do, set up this great kingdom on the earth. Now, which position can I have? I want to be his number two. I want to be his number three. And there was this ambitious conversation, this proud sort of conversation uh, going on between them, disputing amongst uh, themselves. Sounds familiar, isn't it? Something like that's happening today in, uh, in, our, in our time. And we see people vying to be the prime minister and people who before were, were saying such nice things about each other, suddenly because of ambition and pride and a desire to be the number one, suddenly you find leaks are coming out in the newspaper, putting down uh, the, the characters of other candidates for, for it. There's a, uh, the knives, we could say, are out. And one, we see this whole big uh, ambitious desire to be uh, a leader in this political kingdom of the United Kingdom, a desire to excel and to be prominent. And that was in the, the minds even of these uh, disciples as, as they were walking along the road. And when they came into the home, uh, the Lord actually asked them, Mark tells us, what were you discussing? What were you disputing along in the way? And then somebody, one of the disciples, pipes up, 
Lord, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, they should have known better, isn't it? They should have known better because they are, these are not strangers to Christ. These are his disciples. And though they've been now already with him day and night for a, for a while, a good while, still the message hasn't got through to them. Still they haven't understood that the way into Christ's kingdom is by coming humbly and not putting oneself forward. That's the first point, friends, I just want to make here, that the disciples ought to have known better because they were Christ's disciples. They thought of this kingdom as just like any other worldly kingdom. But they, even though they had been with Christ for so long, well, the message hadn't filtered through. Christ had explained plainly and repeatedly, yet still they had not got it. You know, friends, that could be us. That may be us. We may have the gospel explained to us repeatedly, many times, and we may have heard many gospel sermons again given to us. We may even be familiar with biblical terms and be familiar with some of the events in the Bible, but yet we still haven't got it. We still haven't grasped it, and we need to hear it again. We have when, we, when we think, well, if we ask these friends, well, what is the way to heaven? How can I get to heaven? Perhaps they're still thinking, though they have heard many uh, sermons, they're still thinking, oh, as long as I keep out of trouble, as long as I live a squeaky, queen, a squeaky clean life, then I'll be okay. Oh, I know I've got a few faults and foibles and so and so, but it's only small things. I need these small peccadilloes in my life, but no, there's nothing big, there's nothing great. Oh, as long as I can be the best person, then I will go to heaven. And we haven't learned that we've heard the gospel told us that the way we, there's nothing that we can present of ourselves to earn a heaven. It hasn't sunk in that I must depend on Christ and on him alone. It hasn't sunk in that I need a change. I need a tremendous change of God, not a self-change, but God to change me, God to give me a new heart. Or haven't, I haven't probably, maybe haven't realized, it hasn't dawned on me, friends, that I need to come humbly before God. And this is, this is what's especially in mind here, isn't it? That I cannot come before God in, as a, in a proud manner because he will reject me. If I come within an ambitious, self-seeking, uh, self-seeking glory manner, then I will have no place in the kingdom of God. And uh, it's so important for us to grasp these things. So uh, the Christ teaches them again. Christ calls this little child to him and sets him in the midst. He's using now a different method to teach them, a visible sort of kind of parable. And he, Mark even tells us he took this little child in his arms. Uh, so he must have been some, some little young lad who was young enough to walk and to be carried. And in verse 3, he says, Verily I say to you, ex unto you, except ye be converted. That word here is not like what we usually say, to have a change of heart or to be uh, regenerated and born again. Here the word simply means except you are changed, except you have a change of mind, except you stop thinking like this and, and be so self-seeking and ambitious and become as little children, you shall not enter 
into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They must learn a different way. They must become as little children. In what way were these disciples to become as little children? In the sense where there are many things about children, children who are, haven't yet learned the, the, the tricks and the trades that adults are used to of, of life, but young children who are still somewhat uh, simple in their outlook, somewhat uh, uh, free from rivalry, they're not after the great things in life, they still retain a sense of humility in their youth, they're teachable. These are the kind of things that Christ brings out, but especially uh, humility. It's unless you become, as a little child, humble. A, a child is humble. A child knows its own weakness. A child doesn't uh, argue, argue back. A child doesn't think it know, thinks it knows everything. Unless you become teachable and humble like a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's a lesson for us. If we are to ever make it to heaven, if we are ever to make it into God's kingdom, we must come before God in a humble way and being willing to be taught, willing to listen. So many hear the gospel, but they come back with a retort. But I think we should do this. I think like this. This is what God's word says, but I think this way is better. Or I think like this. Oh no, friends, you're excluded. You're arguing with God. Once you're saying, God, I know better than you. You're telling me this, but I think hmm, that's lifting up ourselves against God. That excludes us from heaven. Well, I just want to very quickly go through just three things that we should learn, three lessons that we must come humbly before God and learn. What is the first one? And this is one of the so important friends, one of the very first lessons, if not the first lesson I need to learn is I must come before God humbly. Humility, humility, humility before God. This is so important. God is so holy. God is so great. God is so majestic. Even the angels cover their faces in his presence with their wings. They not look. God dwells in a light which no man can approach unto. If a man did approach unto it, they would be consumed, they would be burnt up, they would be destroyed. God is so holy. God is so uh, great, friends. The last thing I should be doing is lifting up myself in his presence. How can I do that? He has the power to do anything. With a word, he created this whole world. What can I do? This is how powerful he is. He created the, the heavens and the earth. Nothing is impossible for him to do. My life is in his hands. It's not the other way around. It's, my life is not in my own hands. My life is in God's hands. He gave it to me. And any moment he may take that life back again. Any moment he may say, that's it. Call that person home. Call that man or that woman up to me. Call that person up to judgment to Give me an account for how they have lived their life. And I won't be able to resist it. 
When the call comes from on high, I, I cannot say no. Death is too strong for me. What can I do? I cannot resist it. I can try. I can make an effort to keep my life, myself alive. But if it's time for me to go, then I will go. I'm a certain loser. I will be defeated. What if I, when I stand before God, and if I've uh, rejected him and I have no faith in Christ, and I stand before him still in my sins, still condemned, take him away. The Lord says to the angels, take him away, take her away, forever to be separated from my presence. I can't do anything about it. This is God's power, friends. A friend, a child knows that it's weak. And we also should feel that we are so weak before God. Before God, we are so weak, so frail vessels. Or before men, I may be charming. I may be wonderful. I may have a very strong intellect compared to other people. I may be able to, to work things out in a better way. I may have a very uh, strong constitution that is able to withstand pain. And that makes me stronger than others. Or I may have a very brilliant business acumen. Well, if I compare myself with others, I may have something to shout about. But before God, before the Almighty, before the all-powerful God, before the all-seeing God, the all-wise God, I have nothing. I have nothing to shout about. I'm weak, less than weak before Him. Oh, friends, here's another reason why I must come humbly before him. This holy, this all-knowing, this all-seeing God is angry with me. He's angry, righteously angry with me. I am not holy. I am a sinner. I have offended him. And he must, punish, uh, he must punish me. I've rebelled against him. I've said, I don't want you in my life. I don't want to listen to you. I don't want to do your will. I want to go my own way. I want to be free from you. Oh, if I, then he must punish me, friends. And God is angry with us for our sins and our rebellion against him. I'm a convicted criminal before him. I stand before him guilty and condemned Condemned already. The condem condemnation is not future, but even now it stands hanging over my head. I'm a convicted criminal before him, but there is leniency, friends. There is mercy. There is forgiveness in this judge. If we come to him and humble ourselves before him, he's not a stern, unbending judge. If I come and plead uh, humbly, he will listen. If I cry to him, Lord, have mercy upon me. I want to learn. I want to change my ways. He will hear and he may turn and change you and bless you. Oh, let me give you another reason why we must come humbly. Because God resists the proud. God hates pride and he resists the proud. If I, want, if I come before God and pray thinking, well, I, I'm such a great person, I'm such a wonderful person, and I have a, a few faults, but uh, actually I'm not so bad after all, I'm pretty good, entry will be denied me into heaven. I can be, it's guaranteed that my application before him will be refused, my cry will not get to his throne if I come in a proud way. 
again and again, friends, the Bible teaches us this. God resists the proud. God resists the proud. Come, friends, come with lowly thoughts. Come with low thoughts of self. This is the way to be heard on high. Lord, I don't deserve anything from you. Lord, I have nothing to commend myself to you. Lord, you are right in your judgments. You are right in condemning me. Lord, you are right if thou should send me to hell. I deserve to be there. Can I really say that? I deserve to be there. But Lord, you are merciful. Lord, you are gracious. Save me for Jesus' sake because of what he has done. We plead for mercy before him. This is the way to... To, uh, that we should come. But another crucial thing, friends, that we need to learn is the cross. Oh, this is so vital as well. To have a grasp of what happened at the cross and to believe it in my heart, to gain entry into the kingdom of God, I must uh, understand this to a certain degree. What do I need to know about it? Well, firstly, here was an open, the cross is an open and visible demonstration of God's love, of the love of Christ, the greatest declaration of love, the greatest demonstration of love this world has ever seen is, is at the cross of Calvary where Christ gave himself, the Son of God dying on, on a cross. The second person of the Trinity had to come from heaven for this, to suffer and to die uh, on the cross for his enemies, for those who are against him. This is what's happening. For all who will trust in him, the Lord Jesus Christ went all the way uh, to Calvary. Do you know when he was dying on the cross? People said to him, come down from the cross and then we will believe in you. Oh, he could have done that so easily. He could so easily have come down from the cross because he had the power to do it. He kept himself there, right to the bitter end, until he expired. Why did he do that? What made him do that? Love, love, love. Love for his people, the deepest love that there ever is. He came from heaven to do such a, such a, such a, make such a sacrifice of himself. Did he have to do it? Did somebody push him into doing it? Was he coerced into doing it? Oh, maybe surely somebody forced him against his will. Not in the least. Not in the least, friends. But it was love in his heart that made him do these things. Love made him leave heaven. Love made him suffer in such great agony uh, on, and to die in such a way. And then another thing you need to understand about this cross, and this again is so vital, what he was doing there, you need to understand. Yes, it was a mighty and amazing act of love, but there's something more uh, going on here. A tremendous transaction is going on here between God the Father and God the Son. A tremendous work. God's justice is demanding payment. Our sins deserve to be punished. Our sins deserve... Uh, uh, retribution needs to be made and justice, God's justice says I want to pour out my vengeance upon uh, pour out my, the punishment upon those sins and upon those sinners 
And God's justice is demanding that payment. And it won't take any settlement. It won't take any other agreement. You say, well, can you not turn a blind eye to it? Can you not just ignore it? No, God's justice is inflexible. It cannot just turn a blind eye to our sins. It demands that our sins be punished. And what to do? That's the cross, where the cross comes in, friends. When Jesus Christ uh, uh, died on the cross, he said to God's justice, as it were, punish me instead of my people. Lay the punishment that was due to all those who will believe and trust in me. Lay that punishment in its entirety upon my shoulders. Let it fall on me every single drop. I will take every single punishment that they deserve. And he did that to the full. And God, uh, the, the, the punishment uh, uh, was fully laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bore it all. Christ said, I will make the payment. I will be the substitute for my people. I will bear their sins. And that's what happened. And because he did that, justice is satisfied. A transaction has occurred. Justice says, okay, now I'm satisfied. So a door is opened for you and I to be forgiven our sins. If we come to Christ, Christ has procured it for us, forgiveness pardon, reconciliation with God, peace with God, heaven at the last. That's what's happening at the cross. Do you see it, friends? Have you seen it? Have you understood it? This is so vital for us. But let me come to one more point, one more teaching as we sit at the feet of Christ and, and beseech Him and ask Him, Lord, teach me. What else do I need to know in order to enter this kingdom of God? Well, I need uh, to have this atoning work of Christ applied to my heart. I need this Savior to be mine. I need to be personally uh, saved. How? How can I be saved? Well, I must realize, I have to learn once again that this salvation is free. His salvation is of grace. This salvation cannot be earned. It's not something that's deserved. It's not something that I can merit before God. You know, if you give a child a gift, they just take it. They don't ask any questions. You give a child a gift, they'll just say, thank you very much, and off they go. They'll never think, oh, I must buy a gift for that person. He gave me a gift. That's what we think as adults. Repay. Child doesn't do that. It just takes it, doesn't it? It doesn't say, I deserve the gift either. He just say, oh, thank you, and he receives it, whatever you give to him. They're very happy, they're very thankful to receive a gift. That's a lesson for us to learn. What's wrong with us as adults? We don't do that. And the greatest gift of all, salvation is offered freely to us. We say, no, 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 no. I must earn it. I must do something. I must repay God in some way. We should just be like little children, friends, and just say, thank you, Lord for this gift. Thank you for giving Christ to me. I receive it. I don't deserve it, but I receive it from, the, from your hands. But many, for many, it's a stumbling block, this. this. This just receiving salvation as a gift is a big stumbling block for them because they want to make some contribution to their salvation. Well, come humbly as a beggar and plead for mercy and receive it freely. No, I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to humble myself. I'm not going to receive something for nothing. I don't believe in all that. But the Lord says, except you be converted, except you change your mind in this aspect, you'll never enter into the kingdom of God. You have to receive salvation in this simple and easy way, we could say, uh, before you can enter. Come with repentance, friends. Come with faith in Christ. Come yielding your life to Christ. This is all part of salvation. You may say, well, I really want salvation. I really want to go to heaven. I really want to be in Christ's kingdom. But I still want to retain control over my life. I want to dictate. I want to make the decisions in my life. I want to do what I like. Oh, friends, except you be converted. Unless you change your mind in this, uh, this aspect, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You cannot have salvation and keep the reins over your own life. You must come and yield yourself to him. You must come and give your life to him. Oh, he is a, a king who is uh, for us. We should have no fear about yielding our life for us. If he has loved us in such a way to sacrifice himself for us, surely we can tr trust him to do us good in life. And he does. So change our ways of thinking. Oh, friends, this is it. Except ye be converted, the Lord said, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. To be in the kingdom of heaven is the greatest privilege on earth. There's nothing better. To belong to Christ, to belong to God, to have these things wrought in our hearts by the Spirit, and to know that we're going to heaven, all that hope of heaven that is imparted to us, it's the greatest blessing on earth to be out of the kingdom to be excluded from it now should be a concern that I may be excluded from it forever should be a great concern to me that I, I may never enter this kingdom if I continue in the same way without, uh, without humility with, if I continue in pride to be excluded from it friends oh it's the greatest loss that any man or woman can ever experience. The loss of contact with God, the loss of his blessing, not only for a time, but for eternity. The loss of goodness, being near God's goodness. God is so good to us in life. God is so good even to the unconverted friends, even here now. But in the next life, all that goodness is they are separated from it who re refuse to turn to him. You lose out forever. And there's nothing that one can do to remedy that situation. Come to him, friends, tonight. Come as that little child. Lord, teach me and help me and save me. Well, let's pray together. Oh, our great God and heavenly Father, we thank thee that thou dost condescend to teach sinners in the way, and thou hast condescended to teach us even wonderful and precious things that we so need to know. Lord, grant that by thy Spirit these things may take a hold in our minds and in our hearts, and we may grasp uh, them and come to thee in faith and repentance and trust only in Jesus Christ our Saviour. Bless us each one, 
we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn, number 398. Oh, teach me what it meaneth, 398.